welcome to season one of Bristlecone Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside about faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. In this first season, we will be exploring foundational themes of spiritual practice rooted in the earth. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. Join us as we strive to re-enchant the natural world with an ecologically-based spirituality that is centered in sacred text, rooted in the earth, and lived through the activist issues facing us today. I don't know if we're going to get there, but I have a lot of uh, relatives, I've told Kristen, but they um, often think that faith is incongruent with environmental stewardship. <laughs> they, they often view those, not at the core, I think, in how, how they coexist with the earth. It's not incongruent, but in terms of perceptions and politics, um, I've been called a damned environmentalist since I was probably 16 or 17 wow. because I did Subaru. <laughs> and, family. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, by all my cousins. And and then, you know, I I got involved in eco response in college, the environmental club on campus, and I worked with students for international development. And my uncle pulled me aside and he just said, you know, Tiffany, you are never going to get married if you don't eat meat. <laughs> and he was like sincerely concerned for my future and my marriageability. And he just said, you've got to stop being a damn radical. You're just, you know, <laughs> vegetarianism is just messing up your brain. <laughs> That's funny. the bat, I, I want to acknowledge that my co-host is not here with me. She uh, had a conflict, uh, schedule conflict th- t- today, so she couldn't make it. So you'll just have to put up with me. Um, so <laughs> I hope that's okay. Um, so uh, let first, before we get in too deep, um, can you guys each tell me a little bit about yourselves and like how you find yourself in this environmental, spiritual, Mormon conversation? And uh, and Tiffany, we'll start with you and then we'll we'll, we'll jump to Kristen. Okay. Um, so I grew up uh, as a Latter-day Saint here in Utah and um, just kind of feel like I am the mainstream Mormon girl. Um, and then I started doing work internationally, working on um, poverty alleviation issues. And I became aware of a lot of the ways that poor environmental stewardship was exacerbating poverty. And I started connecting dots between my choices and, and some realities in other places of the world. And, um, and then more importantly, uh, when I became a mother in Utah, um, after being away for almost 20 years, I came back home and I became very aware of air quality issues because I have a, an asthmatic husband and an asthmatic son. And as I was trying to solve those issues for my own family, I became aware that this was tied to a lot more political and um, industrial and um, housing issues, many, many things. And 
So it's become a real social justice issue for me. Um, caring for the creator's creations um, is a way that I feel I can show love for my creator and for me to show love to those creations and, and to those people that I love on this earth. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I grew up here as a Latter-day Saint as well. And I happen to have a family, uh, my father in particular, who took us out into all the environments around here, the Red Rock and the mountains. And I remember as a kid just kind of running free range in the Albion Basin, for instance. And this was 50 years ago. So it was way different. Um, and uh, when I first went down to Canyonlands and touched those old rocks, I felt such a connection. So, I mean, I guess my main um, entrance into this spiritual environmentalism or whatever you might call it would be um, by being in nature alone um, and connecting with that spiritual aspect, just knowing that it was there. Um, but, you know, growing up, I learned about the bifurcation and the um, fact that some people think environmentalists are, are not good. And, you know, <laughs> um, and I feel a lot of sorrow at that. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today. Um, this episode, episode five is on stewardship. So, uh, I, you guys both help run the Salt Lake city chapter of LDS or stewardship is really, uh, really poignant to, to the topic. Uh, so I don't want to bury the lead too much, uh, with this one. We're here to talk about humanity's stewardship over the earth. This idea is central to exactly our uh, central to what exactly our responsibility is to the creation and how we act as stewards going forward. What exactly is the nature of our relationship with the earth and its in, and its inhabitants? How are we to act in accordance with this relationship? And are there new and better ways to understand familiar stories that can aid us in confronting the challenges of climate change, ecosystem collapse, and the Anthropocene? In this first season, we are exploring the foundational ideas we operate with so that we can help our listeners remake their own foundational relationship with the earth. And while I think every topic we explore is the most important topic, stewardship might actually be the most important topic we've explored so far. Uh, so let's jump right on in. Um, why is it so important that we get our understanding of stewardship right? And either one of you, whoever wants to jump in first. Well, um, I, uh, first of all, um, thank goodness we have that word stewardship because uh, it's kind of replaced domination and, you know, subduing the earth. And um, it also is a different term than environmentalist, so it doesn't get people's hackles up. Um, I have some thoughts about why stewardship works really well as a term and then some of its limitations. Before before I start rattling off, what do you what do you think, Tiffany? Um, I think you should share what you want to share <laughs> because I actually um, want to frame a rebuttal with um, why I like the word subdue and dominion, and but it will. Go ahead. 
Well, Tiffany, maybe maybe you can give us a starting point for how we understand, and then, and Kristen, you can tell us like how it's traditionally understood, and then why we might need to reframe it. So, Kristen and I, in truth, um, she's my mentor, and I I definitely um, embrace everything she believes. Um, I mean, for the most part, we're we're quite aligned. But I had an epiphany. Um, I also I studied humanities, but looking at it through an international development lens. I know you did humanities through an environmental lens. Um, But I had a professor who required us to only use definitions from the Oxford English Dictionary. (laughs) And that cultivated a bias, I guess, toward um, the authority of Oxford. And I ended up going to um, do my master's degree at the University of Oxford. And while I was studying there, I definitely confronted a lot of um, perceptions about Americans and also about Mormons. And so I felt like I was reclaiming um, my own identity and, and, and also kind of redefining other people's definitions of, of people I love and the faith that I love. Um, but I had a powerful epiphany in the Oxford English Dictionary when I wrestled similar to Kristen, I wrestled with that commandment to subdue the earth and have dominion thereon. And, you know, this is scripture. And certainly, you know, yeah, you can say, okay, there might be mistakes in scripture. But on the flip side, it's like, okay, if it is scripture, we have to be able to also um, understand it. So I was really wrestling and I found a definition of subdue from the era of the King James Version that defined it as lead kindly. And that the original definition of subduing the earth wasn't to control or to um, suppress, but the true meaning of subdue was very different than man's implementation of the command. And I had found that to be true, not only in scripture, but in a lot of literature that I had read, that words change meaning over time. And the usage changes because the people often pollute the principles. And so the practice, you know, even that word um, like um, propaganda, was not a biased word and meant to inform. But after World War II and the way that it corrupted um, Naziist and, you know, racist um, uh, information spreading or, or, you know, falsehood spreading, um, that changed our understanding of that word propaganda. And similarly, the word dominion in the Oxford English Dictionary in in what's called um, Middle English, so the the King James era, it says to have um, a responsibility or stewardship for a portion of the kingdom. And so that was more congruent with what I understood. So in that sense, I think I've felt like if we could truly come to understand principles in a pure way, we would naturally become better stewards and we would fight less. It would not become politicized as it has been today. Okay, Krista, what do you think? 
Yeah, I love that. Um, and, um, you know, you're so right that language has been uh, evolved or made to, to reflect what the culture is. So mm-hmm. as we all know, we're in dominating um, hierarchical culture right now. And those words have different meanings now. Um, so anyway, along came the word stewardship, which is an, uh, wonderful word that Latter-day Saints immediately can relate to. They know what it means. Um, we know what it means. And it's connected with the law of consecration with Zion. Um, it encompasses the idea that God is the creator and that all things are God's in some sense. Um, but I want to back up and just say it also implies ownership by God, which I don't want to feel that way about the creation, that God owns the earth. I, I actually feel um, the same way. So I, I'm glad you're, you're talking about this. But yeah, instead of that, it's more like God is part of this whole um, wonderful web between a creation humans and spirit and we are all working together for the same goal or the same um wholeness and and ascendancy of love in the world so anyway but also um this idea of stewardship encompasses the idea that we are here temporarily temporarily on the earth and we're using things um for god's purposes in ideally so as Latter-day Saints, we understand stewardship on many levels. And so if people can internalize that idea of earth stewardship connected with what we understand about stewardship through um, the Doctrine and Covenants and so on, then there can be an immediate shift in the relationship. However, <laughs> there are some limitations on that word. Um, part of it is... Um, kind of the hubris, if I'm say, using that word right, that mm-hmm. we can manage creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I do want to point out, we aren't the first uh, church to use that term, stewards of the earth. Um, there's lots of internet sites with that main theme in different churches. And that's where I heard that idea that stewardship is about managing creation. Um, uh, there's the idea that the steward was somebody charged with maintaining the property of another, um, usually for their profit. Um, but the earth is this interconnected balance of predators and prey and plants and fungi and parasites and companion species and life and death. I mean, can we possibly be stewards over that? It's very complex and would be very, very hard. And that idea that we can affect the earth has only led to kind of damage. I mean, we have affected the earth, right? Um, so I'd like, I was like thinking about this as um, preparing for today and realizing we're really partners with the earth in salvation. Mm. And, um Salvation is another term that's a little bit problematic, but um, I'd like to think of it as wholeness and healing. So right. the earth has that goal also, really. Um, 
I'll stop talking for a little while. <laughs> well, no, okay. just to respond really quick. I, uh, I think where my hesitation is in that, uh, that really hierarchical model is I, I don't like the idea of a God over. I want a God with, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what mm-hmm. Jesus's title Emmanuel means is it's God with mm-hmm. us. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that I, is that that's not how I want to even imagine like my relationships with my, you know, my, my friends, I mean, Grant, I don't have any kids or anything, but like, I don't want to imagine my relationship with my parents as a, they're over mm-hmm. me. It's a, they're with me. Right. And yeah. my, me and my sisters, I don't have any brothers. Me and my sisters are with each other. The, it's not, I, I really, I just, I flinch at this hierarchical model. And, uh, you know, I, um, uh, and even to to your point, uh, Tiffany, um, I was reading some Hugh Nibley in preparation for this, and Hugh Nibley uh-huh. even referenced that um, if we're going back to words, de- you know, original definitions of words, that the words mm-hmm. that were translated from the Hebrew uh, he- Hebrewic language to subdue and dominion, like have they're very um, malleable words that can mean a number of things, and they can mean a num- like everything from embracing to clinging to to plowing as if, you know, plowing the earth to like mm-hmm. smothering. And so the, the term it's, the terms themselves are very, uh, they're very malleable and depend on who's doing the translating and what, mm-hmm. what, like what subtleties they want to coax out. Right. And so we have to recognize that there are inherent biases in the text that we read, uh, including uh-huh. the James, Bi- the King James so, Bible. Yeah. Um, so building off of that, I similarly, I had downloaded an essay last week, um, also by Hugh Nibley called Man's Dominion or Subduing the Earth. <laughs> and and this, it has, um, I've wrestled with it, um, uh, partly because of um, people who use this sometimes as an argument for certain um, behaviors that I feel can be exploitative or abusive. And, uh, so that's, it's hard to, um, come to the same scripture and to interpret it so differently. But one of the clarifiers that Nibley says in here is, um, this, this word dominus, um, which he says, um, through the Oxford English dictionary is defined as the generous host Pater familias, an owner of the house or domus. That feels really good. And he says that the Lord um, is the one who has a master, a responsibility to provide comfort and well-being for his dependents. And this idea of providing bread, uh, the keeper of the of the the board, the feast of the board or like cheese board, I think of smorgasbord or, you know, many of these beautiful images that we have with that term. But it says, with regard to that scripture, Genesis 3.19, he is not a predator, a manipulator, or an exploiter of other creatures, but the Lord is one who cooperates with nature as a diligent husbandman. And so that's totally in line with what Kristen was saying, this idea of partnering, um, you know, I like that idea of cooperation with nature and, and really we are students. Nature is, is kindly leading us to understand many truths and principles that transcend our reality in the sphere that will inform progress beyond the sphere. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, so Kristen, I know when we, when we first talked about this episode, I referenced Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, Tiffany, are you familiar with that book at all? Uh-huh. Yeah. So in, uh, um, it, it talk, I mean, in, in the vein of like learning from the earth, uh, she starts off the book by talking about how in indigenous ways of knowing humankind is the, are the little brothers of creation, right? That we've been around mm-hmm. the, the shortest time in comparison mm-hmm. to the trees, in comparison to the birds and the geese and the fish, and that they've had a lot more time on earth to learn how to live on earth with each other, to live peacefully with each other. And that we need mm-hmm. to learn from them how to live peaceably with one another, uh, which I think mm-hmm. is a tremendous idea. And and you can even see that reflected a little bit in our own tradition of Adam and Eve being the the final piece of creation. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you could tease out a little bit more within there, that story. Let me ask, um, before we get too far into these two different uh, ways of understanding stewardship, what would you, what would you think is the, uh, the, the, the traditional or typical way Latter-day Saints think about stewardship, culturally speaking? Maybe gardening. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, just looking after your own um, people you're supposed to minister to and doing your calling, mm-hmm. I think that is probably pretty much the extent of what a lot of us think about stewardship. Okay, mm-hmm. so stewardship that doesn't really even beyond, extend beyond my little community of like my family and my mm-hmm. uh, my ward community or my calling. The stewardship doesn't even expand beyond. Okay, good. No, that that's a great starting point um, because essentially, uh, because essentially, what I w- want to do is expand the notion of community. Right, I want to expand it beyond just mm-hmm. me to include much more than just me and my 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 little. Uh, my little ward community. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, the way that I've kind of broken down uh, these two different I- understandings of at least earth stewardship are a, st- mm-hmm. a, a, a stewardship of ownership and a stewardship of belonging. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of, um, that's kind of a good breakdown. One's more vertical and hierarchical and one's more horizontal and, and familial. Uh, so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about, uh, the, the stewardship of ownership and let's just explore that a little bit. Um, so how would you describe the stewardship of ownership? What is the nature of the relationship between humanity and earth and what are, it, what are its pros and cons? Does it have any pros? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I could speak on one thing. Um, I married a real estate developer. (laughs) And initially, I had a lot of resentment and kind of um, snarky comments about his profession. And, and then as he and I joined a path together, um, making our own lives more congruent and our, our principles and our practices more aligned, um, we realized that the properties that we did own that we wanted to develop, if we were to try to complement a community and to do something that beautified or added life or um, gave back to neighbors, then we could, you know, through this kind of at least deeded ownership, you know, maybe that's there's a lot of ways to look at ownership, but in in as terms in terms of like a legal purchase contract, we had two lots in downtown Salt Lake. 
And we committed that we would only build something net zero. And we involved locals. We went around door to door and met everybody in that whole neighborhood to talk together about what our plans were and to involve them and to figure out how we could share knowledge of what we were doing there with what they might do in their own home. And um, so in that sense, um, although some people might wrestle with the whole notion of even owning land or, or having it deeded to one person, the society we inherit already has that, you know, structure in place. And we are all, you could say victims or beneficiaries of, of those laws. <laughs> um, but in truth, I think there is a lot that we can do if we sense um, that stewardship, like uh, that ownership offers an opportunity to collaborate, to create community. And in truth, um, then that starts intersecting with the horizontal plane. So, you know, a hierarchical vertical plane ultimately intersects and, and it, everything is circumscribed into one great circle. In the end. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Kristen? Well, I love that. Um, and I'd like to hear what Madison has to say, but I did want to point out that um, you can be a steward and you can be an owner type steward, um, which is actually sort of an oxymoron because stewardship doesn't mean you own it, but you can be an unjust steward as we know from the parable of the unjust steward, um, there was a guy. And also, how do we define that? It's like, oh, I think I know what's best. And I've done this myself. But I met a guy in rural Utah who said, oh, I hate those damn environmentalists. And I'm a better environmentalist than they could ever be. And uh, later, his brother-in-law said to me, Oh, yeah. When we're driving down the road, he just tosses stuff out the window. I mean, it's just it's just our own our own definitions and our own ideas instead of being humble, kind of like medicine, you're saying, uh, learning from the trees and the mountains and the world around us, having a little less um, pride. Mm -hmm. But what, what are you thinking about that, Madison? You know, I, uh, I recognize I in, both in, in what you're saying that there's a lot that I, I resonate with, um, that, you know, the, at least as far as the ownership model, that that's kind of the nature of the beast that we work with, right? That's, it's not only the mechanism of our, of our, of our, of our cities and our homes, but that kind of influences the way that we think it kind of primes our mind to think about land in a certain way, right? That, that it's harder for us to, to lift ourselves out of this mindset. And so I think there, there does need to be some work done in this, in this realm of stewardship of ownership to kind of reclaim some, some goodness out of it. Right. Um, but I mean, personally, if we're talking just a, as a personal taste, um, you know, I don't, it doesn't feel very good to me. It doesn't feel very inspiring. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, the old adage of the more you learn, the more, the more, you know, you don't know, right. Mm -hmm. the, the, the more I've learned about my relationship with the earth, the more I'm overcome by how, how interdependent I am on everything else. And that how mm -hmm. could I possibly know 
or have even, you know, in 50 years, if I, you know, continued to learn, how could I possibly think I could manage a system like this and do so well and do so equitably and just, justly. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and I, you know, another one of my, my, uh, the things that I, I, uh, I kind of flinch at with an ownership model is it's very present locked. It's very, it's very in the moment. Right. And it's all about, it's very, it's kind of centered on me and what am I going to do right now in the, in this moment? It doesn't, it doesn't do a good job of looking to the future and it doesn't do a good job of looking to the past either. Um, at least insofar as I've seen some of the, the weaknesses, I know that there are landowners who do a tremendous job with their land. Cause I've, I've had some of those conversations with, with some of the rural land mm-hmm. owners down in Southern Utah who do a tremendous job. And they, they do so because they, they have some sense of the history of the, of the place and they, they intend to, to, you know, create something with it in the future. Um, but I, you know, in terms of on a, on a global scale, I think a lot of the problems that we are facing as far as the Anthropocene and climate change are because we, we have, we don't understand how to look towards the future. And we're all about this. How do we maximize this present moment for our benefit? And Mm -hmm. the the end, you know, so, so I, you know, there is, you know, there are, you know, gives and takes, there are pros and cons to all of this, but on it, you know, the ownership model obviously is not the model that I prefer. (laughs) Well, and in tandem with that, I think that uh, probably, so I also have uh, relatives in Southern Utah that are ranchers and farmers who resist, um, you know, regulation from DC or from the state when they feel like local issues should be settled locally, you know, let national issues deal with other things, but stay out of my backyard is kind of their view. And, um, in a sense, like, um, that is also, um, uh, what did you say? It's a, um, present locked mindset to use legislation as the motivator because, um, you know, there was a, a press conference that, that Governor Herbert did last week. I don't know if you guys saw it on Sunday night yes, about I did. masks. <laughs> and this idea of um, wearing a mask um, has been uh, co-opted by some people to be viewed as a threat to individual freedom. And in some ways, it's a microcosm of a lot of the issues we face with stewardship of resources. And I thought, you know he did a good job saying that kindness and charity have never been able to be legislated. And if we are wearing a mask because we care about our neighbor or we care for our parents' health, then that is a much more powerful motivator for a behavior change. And in a similar way, I think, um, that's the power of an LDSES group is that we could potentially motivate each other through love and through shared principles and common ground, which would go a lot farther to, to connect us laterally and, and vertically. I mean, every which way, because we could connect the dots of how our lives are interconnected. Our decisions are interconnected, but sadly, we um, don't get to connect those dots a lot. And um, in in my experience, I, I work with the United Nations here in Salt Lake, and they've been doing a lot of work on stewardship, but very few Mormons attend their working group 
which has representatives from many, many faiths. But I'm like the token member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I do not feel like an expert. And I feel like I would love to have an overwhelming number of people come to represent the the um, demographic, like the, the spread, the number of members of the church to the number of Lutherans or Catholics, you know, or Unitarians. But sadly, in those forums, the Latter-day Saint looks like the minority and there's a lot of other people voicing opinion and, and insight and ideas. And I just feel like somehow we're not connecting dots internally. We're, we're missing some of this sense of community and how we're tethered to each other, but then facing outward also, we're missing some of those connections. So, yeah, what we are missing maybe is this new paradigm that Madison's talking about um, of a stewardship of belonging, um, which is really the metaphor of and reality of ecology, right? That everything is interconnected and we're interconnected with all the people that are going to those meetings <laughs> and we should be. But um, I think in both uh, the environmental sphere and also in the social sphere, um, we need to think in terms of friendship, mutuality, reciprocity, oneness, cooperation with nature and with all these people who have different takes on it, but somehow it's got to be possible. That's that's the hope of the gospel, isn't it? That we can become one and, and one of heart with compassion for all that's living. And I just have to bring up, I've always loved the mission statement of the MacArthur Foundation. Can you picture that uh -huh. <laughs> they're working for a world that's just burdened peaceful and verdant i don't remember how they mm -hmm. whether go in but all of those things are together the earth the interconnections between all the beings that are on the earth i love that and you know i love that i i feel like the idea of zion which is not just a concept embraced by members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is also, you know, foretold by people um, like all Christians and by, by, you know, Judaism and by Islam. And so this idea of a unification of the people of Abraham and of, um, you know, eliminating poverty and coexisting with creation in a, in a loving and unified way that that concept to me is so powerful for a framework to act um, in a way that is good for, you know, that is good for the society. It's good for the family. It's good for nature. And to me, that's the only philosophy that probably encompasses the breadth that we seek because it's not just local and it definitely is local, but it's also global. And in my experience, many people in my world in Bountiful, Utah, don't seem to care very much about realities of Mekong River villagers who will be 
irrigating with polluted waters because of the Walmart and and Home Depot waste that is put into their riverway. And our demand here in Bountiful is directly impacting the creation of these toxic products in Asia. And it's now going into the farms of these villagers and they're drinking it and eating it despite the fact there's known carcinogens. And that, I mean, I, it's, it's a privileged place that I come from because I have the opportunity that I could go and visit the Mekong and I could talk to those villagers. But when I come and try to share that message at home, I feel like people hate me for being a messenger uh, because I feel like I've connected a dot. Um, I feel this burning desire to share and I feel like other people just think I'm on a soapbox or that it's not worth knowing. So a, a struggle I would love to present to both of you and to anyone else who's listening is what can we do to better exchange ideas and to share the dots that we've connected and to be open to hearing what dots other people connect and how can we be better at listening and learning from each other? That's actually was kind of my next question of like, how do we actually transition people from an, an ownership model to a belonging model? Like what, how do we actually do that? Kristen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Well, I want to know how to do it with myself. I mean, I have to say. <laughs> I feel like we're all asking each other, what's the, what's the secret sauce? And we're all asking each other and no one has the secret sauce. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, it's so hard to not be entitled. Um, uh, I was uh, listening to a, someone talk about uh, this idea that if you were walking past a pond and a child was drowning, if you didn't go in and save that child immediately, what kind of a person would you be? And yet, we're there's millions of children dying. So, you know, what's your response? And the only thing I've been able to come up with is, first of all, step by step, and I can only do it that way. Um, paso a paso, as they say in Spanish, um, look at myself and look at who I am and what I've been doing and what I can do um, and make those adjustments. Mm-hmm. But um, and then on the larger front, I just think we probably have to get more involved politically um, and in social justice and in environmental justice um, activities. So our little group, the Salt Lake City group of the LDS Environmental Stewardship is all about kind of working on our own consciousness and hearts. Um, And I'm talking to myself like (laughs) as well as um, maybe other Latter-day Saints who are, don't know any, the same things I do, and I don't know the same things they do. So working together and trying to create community that way and trying to create create community with our local landscape and our local um, kin 
in in the world around us. Um, so that's the goal of that little organization. Kristen, um, tell them about the name Local oh, Adventures. Yeah. Um, well, loco is means local, not crazy and philia <laughs> is love so uh i'm not sure if it's a real word or if it's something we invented but locophilia love of place loving um on many levels the place where we are planted so i love that um but anyway then uh, getting involved on in the bigger picture like climate change or whatever um cause there is that's another piece of it. I'm thinking, what are you guys thinking? Well, in, in my experience, it's really hard to get people from, you know, a to showing up to marches, right? It's mm-hmm. really, it's, it's really hard to get them to cross that gap, right? That is a huge, a huge kind of action gap. And so I think mm-hmm. personally, I feel like a lot of work needs to be done, um, ideologically, doctrinally, uh, spiritually, Right. So the further up the stream, I would say um, that if, mm-hmm. if, you know, the, the exit point is you show up to, you show up to city hall and demand that we, you know, get rid of plastic bags. I'd say the beginning point looks like what kind of conversations are we having in the home? Like what kind of books are we reading? What, 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 mm-hmm. what are we consuming? Where are we going and what kind of relationship, what's my, what's my, my paradigm of looking at the world. And so right that's kind of, that's honestly why I'm doing this podcast is because I feel like that's the work that needs to be done in our community is because I feel like as Latter-day Saints, we're not very, we're not a very activist kind of people. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're not, we're not one to stick our head up and, and go sit on the governor's, uh, you know, outside of his, his, uh, his office, um, except mm-hmm. for to maybe protest a mask mandate. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, which doesn't shine the greatest light in, in some ways. Um, so I guess my, my question for you guys would be, what do we need to do spiritually or doctrinally to, to feel ourselves as members of the democracy of species, as Robin Wall Kimmerer says, or as, you know, members in the great web of being, how, mm-hmm. what, what, what steps do we need to take to help transition both ourselves? Like you, like you, like you mentioned, Kristen, that there's a lot of work each of us needs to do. How do we begin to, to do that stuff individually, but also with our friends and our family and as a community? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to get on a call in just a couple other minutes. So okay, no worries. I'm, maybe I could just share one thought, but then I know Kristen has amazing ideas, so she could talk longer. Hopefully you could record it. Um, but just in closing, I'll just share that um, I think that, like you said, um, being open to dialogue, asking good questions in our own families and at Thanksgiving dinner and um, doing it in a way that truly invites a conversation without um, dogma or judgment, um, but really think about some good questions that that open people up. Um, and then, you know, I think holding hands with different people and letting them establish connections can can advance us in in sharing the work. Um, one experience I had, I was teaching at the University of Utah, um, doing some 
integration for refugee new arrivals back in 2002. And many of these folks had come from Sudan and we took them um, a suburban fold down to Southern Utah to go to the Arches National Park. And they'd been in Salt Lake and they'd never seen our red rock and our desert. And they just came alive because these are people who had grown up, you know, in the desert and they, they knew rural places. And while we were hiking, they were not bound to a trail. They would rather, they actually wanted to stay close to where they saw green bushes. And I was like, well, why do you want to go over there? You know, the trails over here. And they said, well, because we want to be where the water is. We've learned that if you're hiking anywhere, stay where the water is. And this trail is not going near the water. <laughs> so it was interesting that they were teaching me. And I think in truth, if we can be teachable and we can redefine who the experts are, um, we could all learn more. And interestingly, that weekend, um, our suburban broke down and I was rescued by my rancher cousins in Blanding who think Moab is such a waste of time because they view it as, you know, being overrun with tourists and foreigners. But these kind cousins picked us up and they fed us meat for dinner (laughs) and they, um, they just took really good care of us and showed a lot of love for these foreigners, these Sudanese lost boys who didn't have any connections to the South, but all of a sudden they had beds to sleep in. Somebody opened the, the little grocery store and we got toothbrushes for everyone. And we got, you know, some soap and towels and we, we, they just showed really great kindness and stewardship in a human kind of way And the next day they took us out to explore Anasazi ruins and to talk about culture and land and connection and survival on the earth. And it was a beautiful uh, moment to see this humbling where they had often judged me for trying to quote unquote, save the world. But when I brought my Sudanese friends there, they were so warm and they were, they absolutely were not judging them. And my Sudanese friends absolutely did not judge these, these rancher cousins. They loved them. And in that sense, I think if we could all just have a conversation and eat dinner together, we could definitely work toward building Yes. Food can heal everything. I'm a huge (laughs) fan of that. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm going to have to take off. Bye, Tiffany. Sorry, Kristen. And record it. Thank you. (laughs) Kristen, you want to, you mind staying on for a little bit longer? Yeah, well, I do want to just say, uh, maybe talk a little bit more. Um, But I, as we've been talking, I've been thinking, you know, um, what I think is needful is to get on fire in our heart about this. Um, Have that deep wanting to be of service to the earth and to all the the beings on it. Um, And so uh, before we jump into activism and stuff, I feel a need to go into the forest or on the mountain or into the desert and listen. And, you know, here we are, we're talking about spiritual connection to the earth. So 
I that's where I feel the spirit the most anyway. But if we are listening deeply with that question, like, what do I need to do now? What is my role? Um, we can really be talking to the experts, which is the spirit and the earth itself. Yeah. No. So I know that you, you wrote a book on junipers. Um, yeah. called, uh, interwoven, uh, the, the juniper in the web of life. Um, how, so how did you catch on fire about this? How did you, how did you, uh, immerse yourself in the world of junipers and feel kind of the, the spiritual aliveness of these very mundane kind of trees? Um, I really, it was becoming friends with them over the years. Um, just walking among them, being in them, sitting under them, um, juniper fires, whatever. And then one day, I say this in my book, I was just doing nothing particular except being in nature, not with junipers. And I just had this um, fireball come to my heart, like, you need to go learn about junipers. So I spent several years doing that. Um, and Deepening that connection, I think, is part of the locophilia idea, um, becoming friends with the local um, beings around us. So for some reason, they called me to do that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I I love that idea. I, the uh, uh, One of the most fun things that I've done repeatedly every summer was obviously was have a garden. And uh, that I think the more we can cultivate kind of a relationship with uh, these other beings, because one of my favorite aspects of Latter-day Saint uh, doctrine and theology is the idea that other, other, you know, plants and animals in the earth are beings. They're, they're persons, you know, on some level and getting, you know, having the, the humility to be able to approach those, those, beings, um, and kind of lay aside my own assumptions, you know, my scientific taxon, you know, taxonomical names of, of how to approach like a juniper or how to approach, uh, you know, um, like this, the sega lily flower in, in, in the desert and to approach it on its own terms and to come to know it. You know, it really sounds kind of really hippy dippy. <laughs> it really does. Um, but I think the benefits kind of, you know, play themselves out. Um, personally for me, for the, what's really helped me kind of find myself as a member in the larger ecological community is learning. You know, the, the more I've, the more I've kind of exposed myself to being in these places like forests and being in the desert, as well as, you know, reading these books, the, the more I'm kind of overcome by my own smallness. Can you, can you speak a little bit about to, about that feeling of feeling small in a good way and how that is, how that is crucial to understanding our, our membership in the, the larger community, the democracy of species? Well, I guess that's part of the relationships we've been talking about. Um, then, and the humility, because, you know, so long as we feel we are over something or superior, um, we're cutting off communication. We're cutting off the flow of inner of energy. And, you know, I, I love the way you talk about the hippy dippy stuff. And we both realize we need science 
um, you know, desperately because science is another way of listening to nature. So absolutely, um, we but but with but science without the um, a deeper connection is it doesn't go the whole way. Right. Um, something that I wanted to to touch on uh, here at the end is the role of gratitude. Um, so I'm going to read uh, a, a little paragraph from Braiding Sweetgrass uh, from a chapter that she has on the, the Thanksgiving address. Um, it says, uh, to quote, cultures of gratitude must also be cultures of reciprocity. Each person, human or no, is bound to every other in a, in a reciprocal relationship. Just as all beings have a duty to me, I have a duty to them. If an animal gives its life to feed me, I am in turn bound to support its life. If I receive a stream's gift of water, then I am responsible for returning a gift in kind. Duties and gifts are two sides of the same coin. Eagles were given the gift of farsight, so it is their duty to watch over us. Rain fulfills its duty as it falls, because it was given the gift of a sustaining life. What is the duty of humans? If gifts and responsibilities are one, then asking what is our responsibility is the same as asking what is our gift. It is said only humans have the capacity for gratitude, end quote. So first, do you have any reactions to that quote, <laughs> to that paragraph? Well, here, here. <laughs> and uh, if humans are the only ones that have gratitude, well... We have in Doctrine and Covenants 128, I wrote this down. Let the mountains shout for joy, and all ye valleys cry aloud, and all ye seas and dry lands tell the wonders of your eternal king. And ye rivers and brooks and rills flow down with gladness. Let the woods and all the trees of the field praise the Lord. And ye solid rocks weep for joy. Goes on a little bit. Wow. But um, <laughs> So maybe not humans are the only ones with uh, the capacity for gratitude. Well... We have these amazing scriptures, yeah. you know, that um, put some uh, animation into what we look at as non-animate things. Um, so, but let's just, if it, it, whether we look at that metaphorically or um, some kind of spiritual truth that we don't understand, let's join in with them. But let's join in gratitude for for those other things around us. I, I love what she says. Yeah. And the reciprocity. Yeah. No, that, that's something that, you know, I've, I've sensed in myself too, is that, that, that when I feel grateful for something, it's when I at least re receive a gift, because that's essentially what kind of the center of braiding sweetgrass is about is it's this, it's this gifted, this nature that, that, uh, that the environment and the earth operates on a gift economy that, that everything has, has a gift and they give it freely and that it creates a relationship and it creates this, this huge network and interweb interweaved network of, uh, relationships that all have this, this gift and reciprocity interchange. Uh, and I have definitely felt that in myself, in my own relationships with my parents or my, my friends, my siblings, um, that I, I, I sense, I have this great, you know, feeling of the kind of the giftedness of life. And that kind of creates in me, in my heart, this sense of indebtedness, uh, not like a, not like, you know, an indebtedness to a master, but this, this sense of responsibility, that I have a responsibility because so much has been gifted that I have responsibility to live well and to live into those relationships very well. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know what else to say. But <laughs> <laughs> it was a good, was a good summing up. Well, good. Um, we have- any, any final thoughts before we, before we jump off then? Um, well, just, uh, I guess to, um, to sum up and what I've been thinking is it's, uh, needful for me to step away from, uh, that leader stewardship or what did you call it? Ownership, ownership? stewardship of ownership. Into, into a more reciprocal relationship and that I can do that, um, with my own gifts, as you say, the eagle has the eagle's gift and the clouds have their gift and I only have mine, but I do have that. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Bristlecombe Firesides. If you liked this conversation, please subscribe and share widely with your friends, family, and neighbors. Consider leaving us a rating through the podcasting app of your choice. For more from Abby, Madison, and the Bristlecombe family, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and visit our website to enjoy more earthy content of faith, activism, and belonging to the earth. From the Aspen Mountains, Juniper Forests, Red Rock Deserts, and Salty Lakes of Utah, we wish you peace and goodness as you strive to find yourself in the family of the earth.